Imagine for a minute if I told you, and if it were true, it's true, somewhere on your property is one billion dollars. Okay? What would it look like if you believe that was true? Thinking through this this week, as I knew I was going to ask the question, part of my answer might be this room would be empty now, right? Because immediately you would go into action, I think. I think walls would be torn down. Is it, is it in the walls? Is it in the house? Right? Immediately there would be the biggest machinery you could find turning dirt over. Is it in the yard somewhere? You might say, what, what, where I currently live, I don't actually own. Who cares? You could buy the whole apartment complex, right? It's a billion dollars. You're tearing down walls and you're tearing up floors and you're, you're looking for it. Couldn't we say there would be an all-consuming pursuit? Come on. Yeah. So what if? What if I told you and what if it's true? Jesus. Though God put on skin in order to die for us. And then after three days, he rises from the dead. He ascends to the heavens where he's preparing a place for us. And one day he is coming again that we get to be with him in a perfect kingdom forever and ever. My question is, what if that's true? What if he really loves us that much? What if there is a creator God whom we have offended, but he has made a way for those offenses to be removed that we might be right before him, what would our response look like if we believe that was true? Wouldn't it be an all-consuming pursuit to know him more? Wouldn't it be? That is what we're talking about today in week two of this talk series called Surprising Worth. I welcome you today. I want to thank you for taking the time to be here. For those of you who are gathered here at Garden City, for those of you who are joining us online, those at Adrian, those at Harrisonville, some of you maybe from home, some who are traveling, we are grateful for the chance to be together today. And eventually, we are going to land in Philippians chapter 3. We're making our way through the book of Philippians, so if you want to go ahead and find it, we're going to get there eventually. But first, today, I want to read several things to you, and it's several things, to set the stage before we get to Philippians chapter 3. You ever encounter somebody, listen to somebody, talk to somebody, And you walk away just knowing this person has an all-consuming pursuit for Jesus. They just do. 
like, like this, this longing within them, this yearning within them to follow him, this, this passionate plea for knowing more of God. Let me show you what I mean. I'm going to start with the scripture. Um, for example, Psalm chapter 63, and I want you to, to listen. I want you to hear David's heart on this. All right, let's just read for a little bit. I've highlighted a few words to help us. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. You hear it? Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. I long for you, right? My, my, my whole being longs for you. Just in that first line, can you hear what I'm talking about? Somebody who just has that, that all-consuming pursuit of him. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. How do you know that? Only if you know him, right? My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips my mouth will praise you. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. You hear it? This desperation, this passion, this desire, this, this God, I, I got to have more of you, an, an, an anguish almost. Uh, man, he's clingy. Yeah, I'm talking about people who are clingy with God. David says it in other places too. Psalm 42 is that very famous psalm where he talks about the deer that pants, that thirst for water, right? And that, like our soul thirsts for God. And I remember back in the day, um, as the deer was like one of those very first little praise choruses that, that helped us escape the total hymnal, right? It was one of those little praise chorus. It's a cute little, soft little praise chorus. And I always thought, I don't think that's what David meant. Like, an animal or a person that actually is thirsting for water in a land where there is no water, that is not some cute little picture that you stick on a coffee mug. It is desperation. It, it, is, it is this longing, right, to be with him, to, to love him, to know him. Let me give you a, more, a few more examples. We got, we got biblical examples, but uh, let me give you a few more from early Christian history. These guys just write in a different way than people write today. Um, uh, how about Augustine, one of the, the, the early fathers uh, of the church? Here is what he said of Jesus. Let me just read this to you. How sweet all at once it was for me. Now, Augustine who said, look, I knew nothing of God. Jesus pursued me. Now he belongs to him. This is the context. How sweet all at once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys which I had once feared to lose and was now glad to reject. You drove them from me. You who are the true, the sovereign joy. 
You drove them from me and took their place. You who are sweeter than all pleasure, though not to flesh and blood. You who outshine all light, yet are hidden deeper than any secret in our hearts. You who surpass all honor, though not in the eyes of men who see all honor in themselves. At last, my mind was set free from the gnawing anxieties of ambition and gain, from wallowing in filth and scratching the itching sore of lust. I began to talk to you freely, O Lord, my God, my light, my wealth, and my salvation. Wow. Sweeter than any other pleasure. Greater than any other honor. This all-consuming pursuit. Let me give you another one. The, the English Puritan theologian John Owen, um, he, he said it this way, beholding the glory of Christ, herein would I live, herein would I die, hereon would I dwell in my thoughts and affections to the withering and consumption of all the painted beauties of this world unto the crucifying of all things here below until they become unto me a dead and deformed thing, no way meet for affectionate embraces. Like he's found something worth more. Let me give you one more that always cracks me up. Um, Brother Lawrence is who he's referred to, a very famous um, um, writing that Brother Lawrence uh, gives us called The Practice of the Presence of God. And this is a line that he uses, I have had such delicious thoughts of the Lord, I am ashamed to mention them. Like, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. But you can hear in him there is something that he has that I am sad to say I'm afraid is foreign to too many people who even sit in church. And why is that? Like, why are we off in that? Did you know that even creation longs? Let me read this real quick to you. I promise we're getting to Philippians. Romans chapter 8, anybody remember this? For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been what? Groaning, groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. But watch where he goes. Not only so, not only creation, but we ourselves, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. He's saying, even creation, right? There is this longing, there is this, this yearning, a, a longing to join in the freedom that are given to the sons of God, the lifting of decay that came when sin entered the picture, creation waiting to be set free as though it remembers before sin's futility. So biblically and historically, and even creation, there is this longing the question I'm presenting for us today 
is why don't we? And, and let me just put it personally and see if you can relate. Like, why is it sometimes that I am so easily satisfied with where I am with Jesus rather than this all-consuming pursuit to know him more? Why is the language that we hear so uncommon sometimes? And today, I think perhaps part of the answer has to do with just how we see this whole relationship with God. And what we're, we're going to talk about it a little bit. It's like we, we put so much weight on initially meeting him, but I'm afraid that we don't put enough weight after that. It's time for Philippians. Check it out. Philippians chapter 3. Watch what the Apostle Paul does with this question we're wrestling with. Today. I'm just going to read even what we started last week. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence. Here's what he says. Some people want to mark their faith in Jesus by what they do and don't do. He says, it's as though some people want to, they want to make their list they, they, they want to make their list of, of, of the good things that they are doing in order to present some evidence to say, see, I am not as bad as I used to be. Like, because I can tell you those days back there, and here's what my, I, I'm not as bad as I used to be. But Paul says, do you realize what that is? It is this pride-built faith if you will. It's built on the good things that I think I am doing. And Paul says, watch out. Watch out. Here's why. Let's keep reading. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, Paul says, I got more. He said, you want to talk about, you want to talk about a resume? You want, you want to talk about a list of good things? He's like, let me give you mine. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He starts with, with a heritage, if you will. He starts with, a, with a, a family, if you will. He's like, this is where I grew up within God's, right, um, people. And today, today I, I, would, I would almost put it like... I grew up in a Christian family, in a, in a good church, in, in, a, in a good community. This is, my, this is my story. This is my heritage. Paul said, I'll, I'll stack it up against anybody. In regard to the law, a Pharisee, 
I'm not going to take a whole lot of time on that today. We've talked about what the, the Pharisees were sharp dudes, right? They, they learned, they knew, they memorized huge sections of, of law. I mean, I, I would equate this little section, maybe if we were going to put it today, it's sort of like education. I mean, it's willing to go after to, to learning and, and to have a, a master's degree in this and a, a doctorate in this. And Paul's like, this is, this is what I've done. As for zeal, persecuting the church. He's like, you want to talk passion? I brought it. Now, his passion was so for God, not believing that Jesus was that God, that Paul is so zealous in trying to do what he thinks God wants him to do that he's even willing to persecute the people who are following Jesus. In other words, we put it today, it's like, look, I will do the tough stuff that nobody else wants to do. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. He's like, I'm a good person. I've kept the law. I've kept those. Today, I think you would hear people use Actually, we never say it out loud. It's just sort of the stuff that, that people build their own list in their own heart. It's like, I, I, I don't miss church. I don't miss church. I'm not one of those once a month church. I, 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 don't, I don't miss church. And, 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 and you know what? I, I'm, I'm, I share the good news of Jesus on a regular basis. I, I've talked to all my neighbors. They know that, that, that I follow Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm currently memorizing uh, passages of scripture in Philippians or, 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 or maybe even the whole book, right? I, 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 I don't watch, right, uh, R-rated movies unless they're about the crucifixion of Jesus, right? You, you got your whole list of what you do or don't do. And you know what Paul says? So what? Who cares? So what? Here's why. But whatever were gains to me. Now, I, I don't want to overlook the fact that some of those things that I just mentioned, there are gains to implementing those things in your life when you've got some, some guardrails, if you will, when you are when you are memorizing scripture, when you are going to, right, if you're part of church, when you're doing that, there are some, some gains in your life that, 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 that you guard your life from. But look at what he says. Whatever gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of thee surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Paul says, if you, like, cleaned up your life, all right? I mean, let's say you really cleaned it up. Let, let's say you, you, you're, you're now clean from the drugs. You're, you're clean from 
the alcoholism. You, you, you've stopped messing around. You, you, you've, you've started, right, implementing those things in your life of going to church and, and, and starting to pray. Let's just say you cleaned it all up on the outside. And let's say it were possible that it was so possible to clean all of that up on the outside that, that you're not to struggle again. Here's what he says. If you do all that, but you don't get Jesus, you lost. You lost. If you cleaned all that up, but you don't get Jesus, then then you lost. Don't let that simply be your goal. Let your goal be Jesus. And Paul says, I will walk away from everything else if I get him because he is the billion dollar prize within your reach. He is worth an all-consuming pursuit to know him more. And there will always be more of him to know. Now, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying theologically today. When, when you meet Jesus, he gives you all of him, all right? This is not about you meet Jesus and you get a little bit, and then like if you jump through the right hoops and you get a little bit more, and if you jump through some more religious hoops and you get a little bit more, that's not what we're saying here today. When you, when you meet Jesus, it is a relationship where you are giving all of you to him, he gives all of him to you, but it is sort of like in any relationship, let's say it's a marriage, two people say, I do, right? That They are saying, I give all of me to you, but those two spouses are going to spend the rest of their lives actually getting to know this other person. It's a soul. It's a soul, and you're not going to get to the bottom of that soul, which is eternal. And so for the rest of your life, you're going to get to know this person more and more. That is similar to what we're talking about in terms of you, you are not going to exhaust knowing him. The book of Ephesians says that in the coming ages, he will show that the incomparable riches of his grace, right? He's showing us now, but in the ages and ages to follow, we will always just be soaking in who Jesus is as he makes himself known to us. He will unpack the fullness of who he is. What I'm begging you today, what Paul is begging us to see today, don't follow lesser pursuits. Don't pursue less. And again, the question is like, okay, but why does that happen in us? Let me draw this scenario because here's, I think, a part of what happens. There's a whole bunch of us in this room listening to me online. That our story is, okay, there was a time that we were not pursuing Jesus. Maybe some would say didn't even really know, didn't even know who he is. But he chased you down. He caused a collision that you came face to face with who he is. He opened your eyes. You saw the love that he had for you. You heard the good news of what he did for you. He 
came to live with you a new birth. He brought you alive in him and you loved him. Because you're like, this, I've never heard anything like this before in my life. I've never seen any love like this before in my life. You met him and you loved him. But I think sometimes what tends to happen is very quickly that love for him turns into simply this, now I need to clean up my life. Now I need to clean up my life. And so the work begins on those things that we know oh, to follow Jesus means this, this needs to change. So I'm, I'm, I'm suddenly, now don't get me wrong, Jesus changes lives. He, he cleans hearts. He does. But do you understand the difference between when I stop fixing my eyes on Jesus, being in love with him, wanting to know more of who he is, and out of that flow comes the changes that exist in my life versus declaring I need to change, so here's the changes that I'm making, and suddenly we lose sight of a love of surprising worth. There are two questions that I heard a long time ago that for me helped me to pursue this correctly, I think right, consistently. And the first question simply goes like this. What stirs your affections for Jesus? What stirs your affections for Jesus? Now, this is going to be, the way we answer this in a way is going to be different for each of us. Now, there are some things that are consistent. Um, it, it, to stir your affection for Jesus, is Scripture going to be a part of that? Absolutely. Can't do without it, right? God's Word, living, active. I, I mean, he, you can't, Scripture is going to be a part. Is prayer going to be a part? Absolutely. Right? This connection, communion with God, talking to him, listening to him, is going to be a part. Is being with other people who love and pursue Jesus going to be a part? Absolutely. It is God's design. So those constants are going to be there for all of us, right? What is it that stirs my affection for Jesus? It is, it is going to involve scripture. It is going to involve prayer. It is going to involve worship. It is going to involve being with others who pursue him. Okay, but then... Within that context, like what are the things in my life and in your life that stirs your affections for him? I'm going to give you a couple examples for me. One, the patio at my house early in the morning. Like, early in the morning, even in the summertime, in the sweltering heat, like early in the morning, there is this brief section of breathable air. And it's quiet. There are the birds. 
the thousand squirrels that are swarming around. And I read and I think and we talk. And it stirs my affection for him. Now, I'm not, I'm not telling you I do that every single day of my life, but more days than I don't, I do. That that, that patio for me early in the morning it stirs my affection. It does. Some are like that where it's routine, it's, it's more regular. Some are a little more spread out. Another one for me? Cemeteries. Cemeteries. You're like, that's weird. I don't care. It stirs my affection for him. There's one not too far from here, just right out in the middle of the country, just a little cemetery. It's the one that I go to most often. I don't go there all the time. It's like I don't, I don't even go there every week. That's not, that's not what I'm talking about, but I, I go there every so often. My sister is buried there. But when I go there, I, I don't do a lot of, like, it's not about weeping. Do I miss her? Like crazy. But when I'm there, you know what I think about? I think about the life that we got to have together, all the experiences together, the ministry that we got to be in together. I think about FCA camps that we got to work together and watching students come to know Jesus. Jesus. I think about, I will see her again one day because of Jesus. It stirs my affection when I'm there for him. When I stand at her gravesite, there is a faithful pastor buried this direction, just a few yards away. There is a faithful pastor buried this direction, just a few yards away. It stirs my affection for Jesus that the reason I would call each of them faithful is because of Jesus. And it stirs my affection of what it is to love him with every day that he gives me. That's the only way that I will get to that place of being labeled faithful at the end is because of Jesus. It is a love for Jesus. By my sister's plot, there are four more spaces. One of them are mine. Because one day, I will see him face to face. And the only hope I have is an all-consuming pursuit to love him more. It stirs me. You're like, that's weird. I don't care. I don't care. It stirs me. So I go there. There's another one. You would call it probably better than a than a uh, cemetery. Um, I'm pretty fond of the ocean, like the waves. A couple of times a year, I am very intentional that my wife and I get there, and it's bigger than just the fact that we think the ocean's beautiful and we like you know. 
um, two weeks ago when the kids went to uh, Mobile. I said to her, we're leaving early. We're leaving two days early. It's exactly what we did. We drove down two days early, and for two days, she and I, we have our little, we have our little tent umbrella that we set up. We got two of those, of those beach chairs and a cooler that sits in the middle because you got to strap that tent to something, right? So the cooler is sitting in the middle, and we sit there. Those, ra- those waves roll in, and we talk. We talk about life talk about our kids, our family. We talk about where we're going. And there is a rhythm in that for me that goes beyond words. I do not know how to describe it to you. You say that's weird. I say I don't care because a couple of times a year, I I make sure we intentionally put ourselves in that place because it stirs an affection for Jesus and what he is doing in our lives and where we believe he wants us to go. I'm saying, what is it that stirs your affections for him? I got more. I'm not going to bore you. Man, dinner, dinner with people um, who who are all-consuming, pursuing love for Jesus, it stirs my affection for him. I have breakfast every single week with my dad. You're like, don't you guys live at the same, yes we do, we live at the same place and we go to breakfast once a week and sitting with him and his passion for Jesus, it stirs my passion. I intentionally do it. What are those things for you? What are those things for you? Because there's a second question, and the second question goes like this. What robs your affections for Jesus? What, what takes them away? Now, for me, at the place that I am in my life, and I don't want you to, this is, it is usually not on a daily basis some grand sin that robs me of that affection, all right? I, on a regular basis in my life, I try to put those disciplines there. So, like, t- today I'm not... Like, I'm not thinking about how am I not going to take the drugs? How am I not going to take the drugs if they're offered to me? I'm not, I'm not thinking about, right? Uh, I, I, I just, I try to put myself in those places where I don't take those steps in a wrong direction. It's, it's usually more the neutral things that rob. Neutral. You say, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, look at Hebrews chapter 12 real fast. Hebrews chapter 12, you'll, you'll recognize the verses. Um, Here's what it says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. I want to show you one word. And. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin. In other words, there are some things that are sinful, there are other things that aren't necessarily sinful, but they still hinder. You see what I'm saying? They're neutral things, but they can become hindrances. So go back to our question, what is it that, that robs you of your affections for Jesus? I, I'll give you a, a couple for me. I'm just going first today. I am an extremely 
competitive guy. All, all my life, I have been an extreme competitor. I have to watch myself from following sports too closely. Now, I love sports. I absolutely love sports. I grew up playing sports. I, I, sports were such a part of my life growing up, teaching me. I, 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 but if I'm not careful, suddenly some 20-something-year-old dudes will fail me on a field, and it totally disrupts, Right? Suddenly your mood has changed, your attitude has changed, how you feel and move forward. It's like, that is ridiculous. But it'll happen. It'll happen. I have to watch myself in that. Does it mean I don't follow sports? No, I enjoy like crazy. I just have to be aware, it'll rob it will. It'll rob my affection because it'll totally take my heart and my mood and my attitude. It'll take it. For me, watching too much, really, of anything, um, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm all, I love entertainment, and so whether it's a TV show or a movie or whatever, but too much of it, um, too much of that does not help me stir my affection for Jesus. It just doesn't. And let's just be honest, what, what ends up happening is, I'll, right, you'll find yourself laughing at stuff that he's not laughing at. Now, see, I happen to think that Jesus is the funniest dude in the, in the universe, right? By dude, I mean God, right? Not being disrespectful. He, he, I, but as far as man goes, right, I think he's the fun. When we get to heaven, I think we are going to be shocked at how funny he is. Humor, a part of who he is. The problem is he just ain't laughing at what we're laughing at. And when my heart goes there, it affects my affections for him. Um, just to be honest, I cannot do social media. I can't do it. I choose not to. I avoid it on purpose. It is too much. It is too much. I am not built to handle that much information and, and, and wait, and I will get sucked into that, and I just choose to avoid it because it robs my affections for Jesus. Your list ain't my list, so don't, don't take my list and go, oh, here's what I need. I need to run to the cemetery. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Your, your list is not my list. My point is just to go, I got a list, and you got a list. What does that list look like? What are those things that stirs your affection for him? What are those things that robs your affection for him? And which one are you going to go after? Which one are you going to go after? Back in the day when, when I, thinking about uh, those FCA camps that I used to get to go speak at, and, and my sister was a part of it, and we would share the gospel, and those, those kids came to camp thinking they were going to learn about golf, and the next thing you know, they are introduced to Jesus, and you'd see a whole pile of kids who would put their trust in him. I, I, I would do the preaching, and then this guy, he, the guy who was part of leading the, the, the camp director, he would, this is his phrase. He would tell them, now that you've met Jesus, you need to know there is a battle going on. 
He said, it's like two dogs that are fighting. And whichever one you feed the most is going to win. He was talking about the very thing that I'm talking about today. Now you have met Jesus. Let your affections grow in knowing him more. The dog that feeds those affections the most, if you feed that the most, then that's going to win. But if you feed the dog that robs your affection for him, that's going to win. Which one are you going to feed? I simply leave you here today, and we will pick it up again next week. If being a Christian, right, is this, I am doing what's right and not what's wrong, I want you to know that there is more. It is about knowing Jesus. And a life that pursues, I want to know him more and more. I, I want to love him more and more. And the parts of me that don't, I want them to die. So that I fully, all-consuming, pursue knowing him with everything. Why pursue him with everything? To know him. That is it. That is it. Why is there a gap. If a creator God, whom we all have offended, made a way for that offense to be removed so that we could be right with him, what would our response look like if we believe that is true? God, you know there's that little bit of fear in me right now that even, even in giving a list for me, a list of do's and don'ts, then that is, God, I, my fear is that that will be taken and, and suddenly interpreted and all of a sudden we just turned it into a list of do's and don'ts again. God, would you protect our hearts would you open our eyes that we might see you? God, today would you give us a heart that can see, a love with which we have been pursued. You are God pursuing us. Though we offended, you made the way. You pursue us. God, I'm asking today that you would give us more sight in the understanding this is bigger than our little evidence of how good we are. This is bigger than what we can stack up of the things we do and the things we don't. We get to know you. And God, out of today, I am asking that you would stir something. God, within each of us, you would stir a desire within each of us, God, to pursue those things that stir those affections for you in us. God, will you give us strength to, to know how to reduce those things that rob our affections of you?
And if there are those here today that don't know what it is that stirs, then God, would you simply give us faith today to take a first step of intentionally seeking you. Intentionally starting to spend some time just being with you. God, even now, as we take in this song, God, I thank you that this is bigger than a good song. It's bigger than notes that can stir our emotion and we walk away deciding whether we like it or not. No, God, this is a song, words that point us toward this truth that we can know you and that you are worth more than all. God, give us eyes to see and give us faith to pursue. In the name of Jesus.